And so when we think about what is described in our passage this morning and the fact that God tells us it's going to grow and deepen, it shouldn't scare you. Prophecy was not given to make you afraid. It was not given to scare us. It was given to prepare us. God wants us to be prepared for the coming of His Son for heaven. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We are currently in our series on evangelizing, and today is part two of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, Sharing Christ in the Last Days. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 says, But the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times some will fall away from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Today, Pastor Carl will address apostasy and a time when people will abandon the essentials of Christianity, paying attention to deceitful spirits and false teachers. Please join us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 as we continue. Now, if you're reading the Greek New Testament, it says anthropoi. We get our word anthropos. It means men and women alike. It's a generic term. And so the new New American Standard that came out in 2020 says people. People will be. And that's the sense. He's not talking just about literal physical men, but he's talking about people. And we refer to men that way. I know people get all bent out of shape, you know. Oh, you can't say men and you got to, you know. Look, men are men, people, okay? Now, the Bible uses a different word when it just wants to talk about literal men. But he's talking about people. Now, according to Romans 8 and verse 7, by nature, people are rebels. We are opposed to the law of God. And there are people who can spread heresy that he's going to remind us of in just a moment in false doctrine. But he wants us to understand, too, that people don't always operate independently of outside evil forces. If you look back on the page to 2 Timothy 2, the end of the paragraph right before the opening of this chapter, we read in verse 24, the Lord's bondservant, pastor, you could say, must not be quarrelsome. But this applies to all of us because Paul said, follow me like I follow Christ. But the Lord's bondservant is to be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses <clears throat> and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So clearly, there are some people who are captive by the devil. If you were here a couple months ago, we studied 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1. Let me dust off your memories. But the Spirit explicitly says, in latter times, some will fall away from the faith. Not from faith, but the faith. It's articular, meaning the body of truth we call the Bible. He's talking about apostasy, when people will abandon the essentials of Christianity. And that will happen in the latter times. People will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. There are false teachers who come into the church, some who are on the outside who never end, and then some who come on the inside. And Paul warned of such people in Acts chapter 20 when he gathered the Ephesian elders. And they are driven by demons. Now, understand, he doesn't say in the last days. 
He says, in the latter times, that's a different term used distinctly different in the Bible to refer to the very end of the age to the last of the last days. And you see it used that way in a number of places in Holy Scripture. Let me give you some examples. When Moses spoke to the nation and gathered them together, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, just before he died, he made this statement. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will surely perish quickly from the land where you are going over the Jordan to possess it. You shall not live long on it, but will be utterly destroyed. Now, God made an unconditional promise of ownership to the people of Israel concerning the land. But in terms of occupying the land, that was predicated on their faithfulness to the Lord. And God had given a deed to Abraham, it's recorded in Scripture, 4,000 years ago, that the land of Israel is their land. But then he goes on, verse 27, the Lord will scatter you. If you are disobedient, the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord drives you. And of course, this dispersion happened just like Jesus predicted, beginning in 70 AD. And it was pretty much completed by the 130s. Just a handful of Jews left in Israel for the next 1,900 years. But then God makes a promise in Deuteronomy 4 and verse 30. When you are in distress and all these things have come upon you in the latter days, again, a time frame used throughout the Old Testament of that time frame, just before Messiah comes, not the first time, but the second time, to rule and reign upon the earth. And all these things come upon you in the latter days. You will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. Jeremiah pinpoints this time frame as happening during, especially during the time of the Great Tribulation, where they're not just come into the land. The Bible first predicts their physical regathering. You see it in that great dry bones prophecy. They are first regathered, they're assembled, and then God breathes life into them. They are regenerated. And the regeneration part that for the most part hasn't happened yet in Israel is going to happen according to Jeremiah during the time of Jacob's trouble. Alas, for that day is great so that none is like it, and it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. The time of Jacob's trouble is called in the New Testament the Great Tribulation. And so in describing it further, Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 30, 24, the fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has performed and until he has accomplished the intent of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand this. You'll understand it how? Because you'll be saved. You'll have ears to understand it. You'll be regenerated. And the promise that he's about to make that we read in the pastoral prayer will be real in their lives. So just understand that the term latter days, latter years, latter times are parallel expressions. And so Ezekiel 38, that's describing the regathering of Israel at the end of time says, after many days, you will be summoned in the latter years. You will come into the land that is restored from the sword, whose inhabitants have been gathered from many nations. So if you go to Israel today, it's a miracle. Jewish people from over a hundred nations of the world are there. You meet them, you speak to them, why'd you come? God compelled me to come. I'm here because God put it in my heart to come. 
And so we do not know the day or the hour. We do know the final stage is being set for the return of the Lord Jesus. And so it's in that context, he says, in the last days, difficult times will come for men will be. And here's the point. As we move closer to the return of Jesus, things will go from bad to worse. These expressions that we're going to read this morning are only going to grow and deepen and intensify. So let's first think about the moral conduct in the last days. There on your outline, the moral conduct in the last days. In the verses that follow, there are no fewer than 19 expressions that are used to describe the wicked people of the last days who turn away in a broader and more profound way from the truth of Scripture. And of course, if you know Bible prophecy, the greatest of all apostasies is going to take place through the Antichrist. It's articular. Paul describes it in 2 Thessalonians 2 as the apostasy. There's always been apostasy, but there's coming the apostasy of apostasy. But for men to embrace the Antichrist, they're going to have to make decisions before that leading up to it. And so when we think about what is described in our passage this morning, and the fact that God tells us it's going to grow and deepen, it shouldn't scare you. Prophecy was not given to make you afraid. It was not given to scare us. It was given to prepare us. God wants us to be prepared for the coming of His Son for heaven. And so He says in verse 2, notice, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money. And then notice how He closes in verse 4 with lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So with these four expressions of love, He describes these various component parts. Now, the word for love, there are different words for love. Most of you know in the New Testament, and this is the word philos. First, he mentions lovers of self. Secondly, he states here lovers of money. Third, he mentions lovers of pleasure. And fourth, more than lovers of God. And so the repeated use of this word love suggests that what is fundamentally wrong is that these people at the end of time will have a love that is misdirected. Their love is in the wrong place. We say often as pastors, the heart of every problem is a problem of the human heart, and that's true. God commands us to love Him supremely, then He commands us to love our neighbor as ourself. But if we love ourselves supremely, then we'll love neither God nor our neighbor. And so we have the selfie in our day. Hmm? <laughs> now, I'm not trying to argue that every time you take a selfie, you're a lover of self, but people are consumed with themselves. They are lovers of self. And every one of these characteristics that Paul describes in many ways are a result of being a lover of self. And so men will be lovers of self, and then he adds lovers of money. Like night follows day, one follows the other. And in this universe, there is God, there are people, and there are things. We should worship God, we should love people, and we should use things. But when we are lovers of self, we will ignore God, we will love things, and we will use people. And God's order will get all balled up, and I want to tell you on the authority of Scripture, you will not have a filled life, you'll have a miserable life, and you'll never be able to figure out precisely what is wrong. And so we live in a day where people want to just grab everything they can get. And the other perspective of giving has been lost. And what's happening here is not happening now in isolated spots. 
It's happening around the world. For men will be lovers of self. Notice the next word on the list. And the result of being lovers of self is that you will be boastful. Boastful. He's describing a braggart of sorts. When you love self and you love money, then you'll brag. Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. Look how great I am. And that leads to the next word for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant. Arrogance is everywhere in our culture. Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. You look at the average politician, you look at the average Hollywood star, the average sports athletic guy, they are filled with self. And many think they're just so great that they're too good to be damned. And God isn't even in the picture. Notice the next word. It's revilers. Men will be revilers. The New King James in the Net Bible says blasphemers. And that's good because it's the Greek word blasphemos, the verb blasphemeo. And it comes directly into English as blaspheme. What is blasphemy? In Scripture, it goes in two ways. It goes vertically towards God, and it goes horizontally to those who are made in the image of God. And that's primarily what's in view here. And so the NASB goes with revilers. Some of your translations say slanderers. And sadly, when people have lost all respect for God, they will be quick to revile and slander and blaspheme those who are made in the image of God. You know, I know our president has problems, but we're called to pray for our president. But what's really disturbing to me is when we have entire stadiums reviling and cursing our president. And what really sat in my heart was to think of the thousands of children who were present at those events. Look, that couldn't have happened 10 years ago. People wouldn't be so brazen to use such terminology, much less against the president of the United States of America. But that's where we're living. People are blaspheming God, and they are blaspheming those who are created in God's image. Let's keep reading here in uh, beginning further in verse uh, 2. He begins with five words that describe family relationships. And they're grouped together. You can't see it in the English Bible, but in each of the words that follow, there's an alpha on the front. So they're grouped together. Notice first, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers. Then he adds, disobedient to parents. Now, the average family today are raising children who don't understand authority either inside or outside of the home. Of course, the number one cause of divorce in America is adultery. It used to be finances. Now it's adultery. And so children are being raised in homes where they're, they're often confused. They've got two daddies, two mommies, and promiscuity is everywhere. And where is it that these children are supposed to learn about respect for authority in the home? But when the home begins to disintegrate and fall apart, they lose it. Add to that, we have godless teaching that's going on right here in Beaufort County Public Schools. I tell people one of the most important 
people who we should vote for concerns the school board. I don't care where you send your kids to school, homeschool, private school, Christian school, public school. You should still vote. I hope many of you, if not all of you, voted on Tuesday. I went in at five minutes to eight. I usually am in there at seven when the polls answer. I was the first one to vote. (laughs) Five minutes to eight. But we have in our public schools, these children are being taught transgenderism, critical race theory. I hope you understand that if you believe in critical race theory, you're not a racist. If you believe in that, you know, people say, well, you believe in critical race theory, that means you're a racist. No, those who believe in critical race theory are the racists. I've got a magazine out there for you. Hundreds are already taken. It deals with what really is critical race theory. Look, God knows I hate racism. God knows that we're from one blood, that we're all related. God knows that as people grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, racism begins to dissolve because you begin to see people as equals and equally sinful, and that the ground is level at the cross. But our children are being taught. I know, and, you know, technically these things are against the law in South Carolina. That's what they said in Virginia, or at least the governor did. But it was written in the school board, dictates. And you can teach it under all kinds of different labels. Children in sixth grade in our county are taught how to have safe sex. This is pathetic. They bring witches and socialists and drag king, drag queens in to lecture the kids, but God forbid if you said anything about the Lord. So if children do not learn to respect and obey their parents in the home, where are they going to learn it? And what is happening in America is absolutely heartbreaking. Because we have a generation, I think, that are being prepared for the Antichrist who are disobedient to their parents, which makes them, look at the next two, ungrateful and unholy. Many times, because that's the way dad and mom are. Our society, more and more, is being characterized by unthankfulness. Just basic blessings. (laughs) My well broke this week, and... Nice when you have water, isn't it? Those guys came out to fix the well, and I prayed with them, and I'm just so thankful to have water. I spent a night in a home in Africa, two nights, sleeping on a dirt floor, holes in the roof, it rained, it came on me. They had to go hundreds of yards to get a bucket of water so I could bathe in the morning. We've got so much in this nation we take for granted, and yet we are so unthankful. And yes, I don't think it's pharisaical for you to bow your head in a restaurant to give thanks over the food, much less in your home. I tell my grandkids, hogs and dogs don't, but we should. We should be thankful for all that God has done for us. They're unthankful, they're ungrateful, they are unholy. And so we have more and more a generation that is being governed by their passions. Sensuality has become the order of the day. Whatever happened to wholesomeness? So we have kids in middle school who are dressing like hookers. Whatever happened to wholesome living? The next word in the list is rather chilling. It's unloving. 
It's a translation of a single Greek word that is descriptive of family love. The King James tries to capture astragos with the words without natural affection. That's pretty good, actually. Look, the family is under attack. And again, a nation is only as strong as its families. And in the place of natural love, we have more and more unnatural love. I mean, who would have ever thought that we could reach a day where parents would murder their children and children would attempt to murder their parents? Add to that, many parents, most Americans, are being sold a bill of goods that your children and staying home and raising them and having mom there, it's an imposition. And so the politicians run on the platform, we'll provide good child care. And now they want to get mandatory K-3 education in America. Why do they want to do that? Because they want to remove your children from the home. The younger they can do it, the sooner they can indoctrinate them. And yet, without natural affection is a mark of the last days. And certainly, that's one expression of the LGBTQ plus movement. God describes what they do in Romans 1, we studied it some months back, as unnatural. Unnatural love. I think of Isaiah the prophet who wrote about Israel, and he reminded them that when this kind of behavior is unleashed in a culture, that that culture is ready for judgment. The expression of their faces bears witness against them, and they display their sin like Sodom. They do not even conceal it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. And so out of the closet, right into our living rooms, even, yes, on Hallmark TV now, we have aberrant, perverted behavior being displayed. We studied it some time back from 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul says laws are to be written against evil behavior, that good behavior would be affirmed. That's what the law is supposed to do. That's what the government's supposed to do. They're supposed to praise good and put down evil. So he tells us laws written in a society are not made for a righteous man, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. Yet now we are writing laws to condone this behavior. Now please note that God does not, based on these verses, view homosexuality as some genetic predisposition. It's not. It is a perversion. And homosexuals like drunkards and adulterers and fornicators and anything else that is not consistent with God's standards need to find out how they can be forgiven. And I suppose one of the greatest expressions of raising your fist in the face of your creator is to deny how he created you. And so we have transgenderism. The dad in my office was broken down in tears. Because, in, yes, the Bluffton Middle Schools, his daughters were being taught transgenderism. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The Bible is clear that God created you either male or he created you female. So here is Rachel Levine, affirmed with a 52 to 48 vote, and the Biden administration referred to her appointment 
as a landmark decision. But it's not a her, it's a he. His name is Richard. And he may say he's a female, but he is not. God created him male, period. And until 2013, we spoke of gender identity disorder that needed to be treated, at least from a secular realm. We see it as needing to be treated from a spiritual realm. Though, as many of you, hundreds of you, called and emailed in Columbia, and they stayed it, but then they passed it. And yes, that is on the program for the coming years. Not only on the program for South Carolina, we better speak up. It's in the platform. Have you read the Democratic Platform 2020? Look, it has I'm nothing to do with being a Democratic or a Republican or an Independent. It has to do not with right, left or right, but right and wrong. We're talking about moral issues here. In the platform, they want to make it a federal law for you if someone comes and they say, look, I think I'm a girl, though I was born a boy, and you counsel them against that as a pastor, they want to make that illegal. They did it in Columbia. There's folks who want to do it statewide. Look, transgenderism is what we're talking about, a doctrine of demons. There's no such thing as gender fluidity. Yes, my heart goes out for these kids. I want to help these kids. They're being trained in these schools, beginning in middle school, to question the way God created you. We need the wisdom that comes from above, not the wisdom that comes from below. The wisdom from below is demonic. And again, in the latter times, there'll be more and more more demonic teachings without natural affection, without family love. The fifth negatively prefixed word is the word here in the NASB, irreconcilable. The ESV, if you're using that, it says unappeasable. The King James says truce breakers. One man telling me he was born again said, well, I left my wife, I'm leaving my wife of 19 years for irreconcilable differences so that I can now live with my new girlfriend whom I really love. This word that is translated irreconcilable or truce breakers is a Greek word that is used of someone who doesn't keep their promises. Now, please understand, if you've already broken your marriage vow, there is forgiveness. But let's make sure that if we have failed and we miss God's best, one man, one woman, until death separates us, let's make sure that we don't rationalize what God calls wrong. You say, but I'm so happy now, I can't imagine a marriage like I have now. That's because of God's grace. But don't send some double message. Irreconcilable, truce breakers. So on the one hand, we we need to hold out forgiveness. On the other hand, we need to hold up God's standard. I don't care if it's in marriage or business. People today, it's hard to do, make a deal with someone on a handshake or just your word. Because you don't know where they're going to go. Please. Join us tomorrow for part three and the conclusion of Dr. Brogy's sermon entitled, Sharing Christ in the Last Days. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program Sharing Christ in the Last Days, 021. 
Remember that if you have a question you would like to ask Pastor Brogy personally, you can do that on Tuesdays between 11 and noon Eastern during his live call-in program, The Bible Line. You can listen to The Bible Line online at wagp.net. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.